You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. We'll be reading Genesis 9 verses 1 through 7. In some respects, we're stepping backwards. Uh, Last week, taking the last half of of Genesis 8 and really verses 8 through um, Genesis 9:17, we kind of skipped over verses 1 to 7. That wasn't uh, that was intentional. Um, this morning we we look at Genesis 9 verses 1 to 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, and for your lifeblood I will require reckoning From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Heavenly Father, we look to you and we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to Bless us this morning, Father, as we set our eyes and our hearts, our minds upon your word. We pray, Father, that you would instruct us all uh, in these uh, great and glorious things. Teach us, Father, what you intend to teach through this passage and shape and mold us in the likeness of that teaching. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's not uncommon today to hear people say, I am worthless. We hear that all the time, don't we? Although it might not be said in those exact words, but the essence of it is would be the essence of what we're saying. There's all kinds of ways to say I am worthless, all kinds of ways of saying that. If you've not noticed it, pay attention this week and you'll hear it repeatedly and reverberated all over the place. It's very common. Now, there are many reasons for this, but one of the reasons for this is because without God's Word, we have really no criteria for establishing value, do we? What is valuable? What isn't valuable? Without God's Word, without God to tell us what is valuable and what isn't valuable. But Nevertheless, even though we're lacking the criteria, we still desire to be valuable, don't we? Even the person that says, nah, I don't care what people think of me. You know the guy that says he doesn't care what people think about him. (laughs) Well, that's not always the facts, is it? We desire to be valuable, so without God's word on the subject, what do we have left on the subject? Uh, we have not God's world, word rather to inform us. We have the world's word 
to inform us. And what is the world's word on the subject? Every moment of every day, the world is telling us that you are valuable if you are successful. You are valuable if you are beautiful. You are valuable if you are handsome. Uh, You're valuable if you are wealthy. You're valuable if you've accomplished some great thing. You're valuable if you're from a certain family. You know, a long, t- long time ago, we used to play a song um, you've heard on the radio many, many times. I don't remember who wrote the song. The style that we played it in was the style that John Fogarty would play it in. And one of the lines went, uh, that ain't me. That ain't me. I ain't no senator's son. That ain't me. That ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. What's that expressing? Value by descent. What family you come from. We're on a quest to find value. We could add to the list of things that I've given. We could add all day long. We each could fill in the blank. We could say I'm valuable because X. You fill in the blank. And actually, if you're on this quest, you've already subconsciously asked the question, what makes me valuable? And you subconsciously answered the question, what makes me valuable? And uh, you are already on the pursuit of pursuing that which you believe will bring happiness and success and satisfaction and, yes, value. But what happens when you fail to make the grade? I mean, what happens when you can no longer do what you thought made you valuable? Well, if your value is in the fact that you're great at your job, what happens if the day comes where you can no longer do your job? You're going to come to the conclusion that you're worthless. That's the only conclusion you can come to. If my value is X and I can no longer do X then I have no value. It's math. It's actually mathematics. What happens when you succeed? Some of us actually succeed. You find yourself, well, I'm value, valuable because I'm really good at catching this ball and running across this line with it. And you know what? Some are really good at catching the ball and running across the line with it. What happens to them? If they find their value apart from God, then they become an esteemed member of the line of Cain, don't they? Some of us weren't around for the study when we were studying Cain in chapter 4. Cain found his value and his family descent were those who found their value found their worth, found their their satisfaction, attempted to find all of that apart from God, didn't they? And they're lost for all eternity. So you see, this, this doesn't look too good, does it? It doesn't matter which way you go, left or right, where does it lead? Despair and destruction, doesn't it? Despair and destruction. And, and you know, don't misunderstand me. I put a note here. <laughs> don't misunderstand me. It, I was thinking this through, and I was thinking how people could take this, and 
you can't always think about every way people will take this, but I was thinking, you know, someone might listen to this and think, well, Rick's saying that success is evil or success is wrong. No, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. God does not desire, I don't believe God desires that His children be all failures. I don't believe that at all. Um, But what God does desire to show us is what heavenly success looks like. It's not that He wants us to be failures. He wants to show us what real success looks like. So value apart from God is a misguided illusion. Did you get that? Value apart from God is a misguided illusion. And I would even take it one step further. Value apart from God is not only a misguided illusion, it is a satanic illusion. Because that is exactly what Satan did in heaven. As he tried to establish his value apart from God. That's what the leader of the kingdom of darkness has done and has infected all of his uh, followers with that same germ. It's satanic. It's misguided. This morning's text speaks directly to this. In fact, this morning's text will set you free from the shackles and tyranny of all this because that's really a treadmill, isn't it? It really is a treadmill. Let's look to our text We've seen that Noah, his family, and all the animals have exited the ark. If you look at verse 1, you'll see that they receive God's blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, the reader of Genesis says to himself or herself, that sounds familiar. I've read that somewhere before. And the answer is yes, you have. If, if you keep your place in Genesis 9, I'd really like for you to turn back to Genesis 1 and verse 28 so we could see a couple of parallels here. Um, I I promise you I have good reason for doing this exercise. I want you to see the parallels. They speak very powerfully to the introduction here. Back in Genesis 1 and verse 28, if you look at the first part, after creating mankind, what does it say? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a repetition, isn't it? What we have in Genesis 9 and Uh, here we also have in Genesis 1. And last week I had mentioned that in theology we call this the cultural mandate. What are we supposed to be doing? This answers answers, uh, one of the questions is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be being fruitful, multiplying and filling the earth. But it it continues in verse 2. Back to Genesis 9, verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. I would love to preach on that verse. There's, I'm tempted to go into some of that right now, but i got to save that for another day. There's a lot of things going on there that would, one of these days, Lord willing, that is an important verse. It's easy to skip. It's very, very important. But for this morning's discussion, notice the phrase that comes next. Into your hand they are delivered. Into your hand they are delivered. What is going on there? Well, if we look back to chapter 1 and verse 28, let's keep both of these verses together. Chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have what? Dominion. Dominion. Have dominion. 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they're to subdue the earth. They're to have dominion over the earth. And when we read Genesis 9 and verse 2, the Lord says, into your hand they are delivered. Now, why is this so important? It's because the Lord is reestablishing dominion. He's reestablishing dominion. I could put it this way. Here, God is reinstating man as, as his vice regent or ambassador. Now, why is that so important? Well, let's get on the boat with Noah and let's float out there for a year and let's think about everything that has happened because I'm sure he had a lot of time to think about this. You know, and when this boat finally lands somewhere and these waters are gone, what's going to be our new position? Because quite frankly, man, we have really taken a butt whipping here, haven't we? This is a real spanking. It's like... You know, when you've really blown it with your parents and your parents have disciplined you, you kind of come out of your room and you kind of wonder, okay, what's thing, what, 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 just what's this all about now? What's this, what's this going to be like now? What's, what's this all about? Well, God is reinstating man as his vice regent, as his ambassador, if you will. Does humanity still occupy the same place in the created order after the flood that he occupied before the flood? The answer is yes, he does. And furthermore, we can say that Noah really is a type of Adam here. Um, We really could say Noah is the second Adam. Now, sometimes we refer to Christ as the second Adam, but it's actually more accurate to refer to Christ as the last Adam. The actual word is eschatos. It's the word that we get eschatology from. Christ is the eschatos of Dom. He is the last Adam. Uh, not the second Adam, but the last Adam. But back to our text in verse nine or chapter nine, verse three. Uh, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. This is related to something I would love to teach on. Um, let's look at the parallel here, Genesis one, and this time verse twenty-nine. Look back to chapter one. You'll see that in verse twenty-nine. Uh, uh, we have an, actually in chapter 9, we have the addition of animals. In verse 29, we have the, uh, the, uh, all the plants uh, given to man for food. Um, back to chapter 9, verse 4. Sorry to make you go back and forth like this, but it is necessary. We're only going to do it a couple more times. Back to chapter 9, verse 4. We have a very interesting verse here. Notice it says, you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Um, this, First of all, this verse states a prohibition, and many of the old interpreters commented that it was a restraint on cruel bitterness, cruel brutality, or cruel brutishness, if you will. Um, I won't go into the details of that because it's, it's really gory and it puts a picture in your mind that doesn't go away real quickly. Um, but notice what is said about the connection between life and blood here. Um, if you look at the verse, you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. Uh, here, we see that life and blood, blood is put for the life, isn't it? Uh, the NIV translators bring the words together. If anyone has an NIV, you're reading life, blood. The two words are put together. The ESV puts them together in verse 5 as well. Um, commenting on this verse, Calvin says that um, here... Blood is a token which represents life. The blood is a token which actually represents 
life. And one of the great lessons that we gain from this is life is important to God. Life is important to God. Jesus tells us that not even a sparrow falls apart from the will of the Father. Life is important to God. And again, this is a, this is a needful truth to be given to Noah, isn't it? Because what has just taken place? We always have to keep the context in here. What is the context? What is taking place? All flesh has been destroyed, save Noah, his family, and the contents of the ark. Is life really important to God? Yes. Yes. Life is important. Very important to God. The Lord says through Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. You know, the Lord waits patiently and long. And what is he waiting patiently and long for? He's waiting patiently and long for repentance. Now, we know repentance is a gift. It's a gift from God. Uh, we know that. But there's a divine mystery between our responsibility and God's sovereignty. Uh, all of us are commanded to repent. God waits for repentance. Actually, he waits quite patiently, but eventually his justice requires action. But listen, when we look to the heart of God, we find a God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in judgment. He takes no pleasure in these things. Now, in Genesis 9, 3 to 4, the Lord offers the animals for food to sustain mankind. But I think what we can gain from these verses, there's much more, but at the very least, we see that the life of animals are to be respected. Life is to be respected. Uh, the life, the animal life is to, be, is to be respected. I'm going to go further with that here in a few minutes, but there's something else that we would do good to pay attention to. You don't need to turn here, but just listen to Leviticus 17 and verse 11. It says this, quote, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. See, it's picking up on that theme. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Did you, did you catch that? Let me read it again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. We got that, right? And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now here we see the role of blood in the sacrificial system. The blood shed and sprinkled upon the altar is commemorative of an innocent party going in place of a guilty party. We could put it another way. The blood of the lamb is a sign of an innocent party taking the penalty of the guilty, taking the punishment that the guilty deserves. Or we could put it another way. It points to Jesus who is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see that all the way in Genesis 9. As soon as they get out of the boat, what are they getting? They're getting the gospel. <laughs> They're getting the gospel. But continuing in our text, verse 5, the Lord continues, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. And again, we see life's important to God. I want to pick up on the theme. Life isn't just important. Animal life isn't just important to God. But look how important human life is to God. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. Verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by Man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Life is so important to the Lord. 
It's so important to the Lord. I'm going to say that so many times, you're going to think the title of this sermon is Life is Important to the Lord, but that's not the title of the sermon. But life is important to the Lord. Especially human life. And here the Lord sets forth the sentence for murder. What is the sentence for murder? The sentence for murder is execution. We could talk about capital punishment from this text. However, I don't think that capital punishment is the main point of this text. I would argue that it is not the main point. It's a prominent point. It's a a point for sure. But it's not the main point. I want to get to the main point here. The main point is why is human life so precious before the Lord? Why is human life so precious before the Lord? And it's because we have been created in the Imago Dei. We've been created in the image of God. And that's what I want to take up with the rest of our time this morning. I think that's the central point of this passage. And again, Genesis 1. If you'll turn back there with me to Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Keep your place in Genesis 9. We're going to do just a couple more of these. It's really important that we see these things. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay. What is it to be created in the image of God? We could say so much about this subject. It could be really fodder for a series of sermons. But from the context, we see that dominion is part of the answer. Dominion. You know, our Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, they're in possession of absolute authority. And in a sense, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has shared this authority in this limited sense. Um, When they create humanity, they endow upon us what I might call under-authority. If we would just put that in quotation points, under-authority. We have authority, but our authority is under another authority. Uh, I could put it another way. The way it's often put is our authority is derived. Remember what Jesus tells Pilate when he's being examined by Pilate just before his crucifixion. Pilate says, you, 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 know, you don't want to answer me? You just want to be quiet? I question you and you, don't, you realize I have the power to crucify you? What's Jesus say? You'd have no power if it were not given to you from above. <laughs> Pilate, you're going along just as planned. <laughs> you think you're in a place and position of power. In a sense, he is as the governor of the area. But it's an under-authority. It's a derived authority, isn't it? See, government actually comes into play in this verse. We could talk about government. I don't think it's the main theme. But we could come back to this text and talk about, about government from this text. Um, so, where are we here? Um, what is it to be created in the image of God? Well, we, we have no authority in and of ourselves, but by virtue of creation, at least in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we have been granted authority as an under-authority, a derived authority. Um, 
In other words, when God creates us, this might help us a little bit. When God creates us, He places us in a certain station. Uh, we've been put here as His representatives. Uh, we're more familiar with that. We, we have a state representative, someone who can represent us uh, elsewhere. Um, but here, we've been put here on earth to be representatives of God. Uh, also, we've been put here to carry out God's will. Also, we've been here, put here to reflect His character and glory. But as I, as I read these things to you, you're already aware that there's some problems there, isn't there? Um, because at the fall, this image becomes distorted and corrupted, doesn't it? Do we, do we do this? Do we perfectly represent the Father? We're required to. We, we act like we're not required to, that God understands we can't, so He doesn't require us to. That's, that's actually wrong. We should not think that way. God actually, we are actually required to. Every human being is required to perfectly represent God. That is a requirement. And if that don't lead you to Christ, do we carry out His will perfectly? No. Oftentimes we think, well, God, does, God knows we can. He knows we don't. We're required to. That would lead us to Christ, wouldn't it? Do we reflect His character and glory? Oh, oh. So at the fall, this image is distorted and corrupted, but it's not lost at the fall. That's the important thing that we need to see here. It's not lost. And someone will say, well, how can you say it's not lost? I mean, we're doing such a terrible job at this. How can you say it's not lost? Well, because of Genesis 9 and verse 6. What's going on in Genesis 9? Verse 6, God has established capital punishment as a sentence for the murder of another human being. And undergirding that, the reason for that is that human beings are still image bearers of God, aren't we? So the image has not been lost, it's become corrupted. When we look at humanity as a whole, we clearly see that it's been corrupted. I mean, we're not functioning as God's representatives too good. Um, to the contrary, as unbelievers, we live as though God doesn't exist at all. Uh, Paul tells us that we suppress the knowledge of God and, and, and wickedness. We suppress it. We want to get God clear out of everything. We just don't want Him meddling around with our life. We'll take, God, we'll take some of the things from God that we like, but we want to leave the rest. We want to leave the rest buried somewhere. But secondly, in our unbelief, we don't live to carry out His will. Instead, we live to carry out our own will. And we, we research, I mean, there you're, we usurp the seed of God. Um, Thirdly, we've, we've been put here to reflect God's character and glory. Well, I don't need to give you any commentary on that. Um, what's happened to us is explained in Genesis 5. If you turn to Genesis 5, this will be a review. Genesis 5, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 5, verses 1 to 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Do you see that? Verse 2, male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. Now look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in what? His own likeness after his own image. And Adam fathers a son in his own likeness. And you remember when we were back here in these passages, looking at these passages, we talked about some of these things. Each of us has been born in the likeness of Adam. We've been born in the image of 
the man of dust, as Paul puts it. We've been born in the image of the man of dust. Um, in other words, we've been born with a rebellious heart, but nevertheless, we've not completely lost the Imago Dei. We've not completely lost the image of God. The fact that we bear God's image has not been completely lost. Um, some of you know that I love dogs, and I'm especially close to our dog, Baxter. I mean, I, I've loved all of our dogs, this, this dog. I mean, he's really my buddy. And this morning, um, early this morning, I was on our deck, um, just sitting out there, and I was reading Hebrews chapter 1, and I really came upon one line, um, the scepter of uprightness has become the scepter of your kingdom. And I just found myself really just worshiping Christ for that verse. Uh, really just the, one of those moments where you're just really caught up in it and just really worshiping it. And then I happen to look over at Baxter, who's always with me. And I happen to look over at Baxter, and he's curled up asleep. And I thought to myself, I have a privilege that he doesn't have. I can sit here and read my Bible. And if he could understand me, I would be happy to explain what, at least as best I could, what, I, what that verse means. But he doesn't have the capacity. You see what a privilege it is to be created in the image of God? You see what a joy it is to be created in the image of God. Um, we have all these privileges that the other creatures don't have, but instead of falling down in thanksgiving before the Lord, left to ourselves, we exploit these privileges for worldliness and worldly gain, don't we? And the penalty for this is awful. I mean, let me give you one example. I spoke about this in my introduction. I mean, when we suppress the Lord with worldliness, we lose all sense of value. When we suppress the truth of God and worldliness, we get rid of the Word of God. When we get rid of the Word of God, we get rid of any criteria for establishing value. So there's no value. We lose all sense of value. Now realizing this, we try to establish our own value, and how do we do it? We do it the world's way. That's what we're doing. And the world values great achievements, so we set ourselves out to be great achievers. And we submit ourselves to the grind to becoming a great achiever. And what happens when we fail? Well, when we fail, we lose all sense of value. People are asking this question, how do I determine myself? Or, Of course, we never ask the question that way, but every waking of every hour, every, many of us are just running full throttle attempting to answer that question, attempting to try to fill in that blank and perfect that uh, whatever that is that we've put in the, in the blank. Uh, what makes us valuable? That's the question. Now it's up to us to fill in the blank. And you can write any answer in you want as long as you're successful at it and as long as you're able to receive the praise of men by it. That's what the world says. If you can receive the praise of men by it and you're successful at it, then you can put any answer in. That's, how you, that's, that's what makes you valuable. So I can put career in the blank. What makes me valuable is my job. What happens if I can't do my job? Well, then, you know, people have taken their lives over this. This is really dangerous. It's, it's, just, it's just where we are. It's so dangerous. People taking their lives. There's no value anymore. Or I could, I could put some talent in the, in the blank. 
Um, what makes me value is the fact that I can sing, you know. I can sing. You know, I can sing. And uh, what makes me valuable is I can sing. And um, when I sing, people will come and listen to me and they'll hear me sing. And uh, people love me because I can sing. And, you know, and all these people come on, come and see me because I can sing or we can play instrument, you know. Uh, what makes me valuable is I can play this instrument, you know, and people will come and listen to me and, and uh, that's what will make me valuable. Or we could put in, you know, uh, I can get to the swimming pool. I can get from one side of the swimming pool faster than all the other people can get to the other side of the swimming pool. And yes, I, I, I can do this. I can get from one side of the swimming pool all the way to the other side of the swimming pool. And, and because I can do this really fast and faster than all the other people, I'm valuable. Uh-huh, uh-huh, that's what I can do, yes. Now, I'm being a little bit humorous here. But do you see the madness in it? Do we see the insanity in it? What makes me valuable, what makes me valuable is I can catch the ball. I can catch the ball. I can run. I can get across the line. Uh huh. I can run. I can get across the line. That's what makes me valuable. You see the madness in that. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that sports can't be fun. I'm not saying that, you know, Olympics. Listen, if a, if a believer wants to be an Olympic swimmer, Go for it. But once we say, listen, I am here. My value, my life's devotion is being the fastest person to get across this pool of water. Well, you're insane. You're absolutely insane. It's complete insanity. I can understand why people come to the conclusion that we're no more valuable than animals. Once the God, Word of God is taken out of the picture. If we take the Word of God out of the picture, then I can fully understand. What, what, what is my life that would be more valuable than an ant? Both living creatures, just trying to make a living and get by as best we can. I can, I can fully understand that. But the good news here is God has spoken. He's spoken in our text. Why are we valuable? We were made in His image. We were made in His image. The images become distorted. But one of the big things we see in our text post-fall is the image has not been lost. You see why Noah needs that? When he gets out of the boat? You see why he needs that? He needs to understand that. That the image has not been lost. Because you see, if Noah believes that the image has been lost, then there is no value. And Noah would be where exactly where we are right now. Why does life become increasingly valueless? Have you noticed that it does? Why is it becoming increasingly cheap? Well, this is one of the reasons. It's the only place it can go. But God is reestablishing this, and how needful. I mean, we've already spoken about the trauma that Noah endured. On the, on the boat and through all of that, reestablishing this would have been very comforted. And, and we're so blessed beyond Noah. Do you realize that? We are so blessed beyond Noah. I mean, we have so much more re revelation. Remember, remember Genesis 3.15. I mean, Noah had Genesis 3.15. You remember Genesis 3.15? Namely, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first gospel presentation in all of Scripture. 
Someone said, well, what's that got to do with our passage? It's got everything to do with our passage. It has everything to do with our passage. Think about it. We were created in the image of God. We fell the, as image bearers. The image of God has become distorted and corrupted. Humanity is judged post-flood. We see that we are still image bearers of God. But it's a mess, isn't it? It's fractured. It's distorted. It's corrupted. But in Genesis 3.15, we're promised a son. We're promised a son. And this son is Jesus. And Jesus, as per His human nature, get this sorted out in your head. Jesus, one person, two natures. One person, human nature, and divine nature. All in one person. Jesus, as per His human nature, is the image bearer our excellence. He is the image bearer par excellence. He is what it means to bear the image of God. The Apostle Paul says Jesus is, in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this morning, I started out looking at Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus is the image of God par excellence. And He has come that He might restore what is lost. What has been lost? What has been lost is that we are not perfect image bearers of God. We are image bearers of God. But we are not perfect image bearers of God. And Jesus has come to change that. If you were to make a list of priorities of what you believe is the number one priority of God where we're concerned, what do you think the number one priority of God would be? Anybody. Go ahead. Go for it. Someone's going to say His glory, right? That's number one. What's number two? That we be saved? Actually, no. Not just that we'd be saved. Being saved is part of the equation. But the number two priority of God where we're concerned is recreating and fixing and reestablishing us as perfect image bearers of God. Now, if that is His number two priority, what should be our number two priority? Our number one priority should be His number one priority. And what is that? The glory of God. Our number two priority should be what? It should be His number two priority being restored to the beautiful image of God. Our problem is left to ourselves. We don't live to represent God. We don't live to carry out His will. We don't live to reflect the character and glory of God. The good news is Jesus has come to change that. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, Paul tells us that believers, those who are in Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean? What is happening to you? What is happening to me as we grow in grace? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working in concert to do 
what? To restore the image of God in each one of us. Isn't that astounding? It's his number two priority where we're concerned. And God just hasn't sold, whistled for some angel in heaven and said, hey, uh, hey you, uh, go down and take care of these characters because, well, my, boy, do they need help. Now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all doing it themselves. That's amazing, isn't it? So what makes us valuable? <laughs> I forgot one verse. You've got to hear this verse. Can we back up one second? 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Is that worth backing up for? That's what's going on. We got the man of dust thing down, don't we? This, this, this image of Christ, now that's a new one for us. And it's going to be an exciting one. And we're, we're being renewed in it by degrees of one degree of glory to another. So what makes us valuable? I think we already got the answer, don't we? What makes us valuable? We've been made in the image of God. That's what makes us valuable. We're just as valuable if we can still do our jobs or if we can't do our jobs. Our value has not changed. don't think I could make it across the swimming pool too fast. I could probably get across the swimming pool, but I'm not going to make the team. That has nothing to do with my value. And to think that it does is a satanic illusion that so many are caught up in. Not just the folks that are making it across there really fast, but all the folks they're influencing. And our celebrity-crazed culture no, we got a privilege that's way beyond getting across a swimming pool. We, we've got the privilege of representing God on earth. Little Baxter doesn't have that privilege. I'm convinced if little Baxter was given the privilege, he'd do it better than I do. You want to know why? Why is he always around? He has this singular devotion to me. And every time I see it, I think to myself, that's the very devotion that I should have to God. Oh, I think Baxter would be way better at it. And don't get the impression that Baxter is not glorifying God or representing God. All creation does. The animals do. I think they do it better, which is really not good. But we have the glorious privilege of representing God on earth. We have the glorious privilege of living for His will instead of ours. What could be higher uh, than God's will? We put ourselves in the place of God and think our will is more glorious than God's. My goodness, God's will is much more glorious than our will could ever be. And reflecting His character and glory. We have the glorious privilege of reflecting the character and glory of God. If you're a believer this morning, you can rejoice that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are busy restoring that in you and they're busy restoring that in me if we're not a believer here this morning can you think of a good reason not to be a believer (laughs) 
So as we go forth from this place, let's call on God to restore the image of God in us. And if you're a believer, let's call on His strength. Let's call on His strength, you know, so we might represent Him better. Let's call on His strength so that we might follow His will better. Let's call on His strength so that we might reflect His character and glory. Amen? We're not saved by any of these things, but we are called to these things, aren't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, and we praise You, Father, that You are working in our lives to restore this great, this great privilege that You have endowed upon humanity, namely the privilege of being an image-bearer of God. And we thank You, Father, that therein lies our value, therein lies our self-worth, therein lies true value. Father, our eyes are, are often dark. Our ears are sluggish to hear. We pray, Father, that you would teach us. And Father, we pray that you would walk with us. Show us your storehouse of grace. Show us your storehouse of, of power that we may grow in these things. For we know, Father, that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. But Father, we rejoice in the fact this morning and Lord, I, I wish we had more time to talk about how we can do this. We rejoice in the fact that there you are ready with all the resources we need. And one day, your work will be complete in us and we will indeed, uh, we will indeed bear the image of Christ. So, Father, may we hasten this work even now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.